Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team. This Ace Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Betting. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbetting.com. This is Ace Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Watching MLB Network, and they keep talking about certain players and all these prospects. So you mention a player, and what they're talking about is in Chicago, and we mentioned this yesterday on our show. We talked about Stroman. We talked about Cody Bellinger. And the question on whether to keep these guys, and then they're like, yeah, probably uh, Strowman. Strowman's going to get traded. Bellinger, we don't know. But it's for a ton of prospects. Shohei Otani, it's for a ton of prospects. Everybody wants to trade known commodity for a ton of prospects. And it got me thinking today. We are starting to sell that there are far more great prospects. The unknown is greater than the actual players who actually are names, faces, guys with track records in the big leagues. We're throwing out this. If if everybody was to be traded that everybody says that should be traded, it's amazing how many great future players there are in minor league baseball. When the percentages will tell you that that's not the case. Yeah, I sent you something earlier. The but. percentages are going to tell you, wait till you see this. The percentages are going to tell you that all these minor league systems, they're not hoarding a bunch of future Hall of Famers like everybody's acting. Everybody's acting like you've got somebody that's about to make money. Maybe you're kind of going into a ri- trade them for all these prospects. 
the unknown is not as good as everybody's selling it to be. And it's funny because you're like, I was watching MLB Now today, and they're mentioning all these players. Well, you could trade him, trade him for prospects. Trade him, trade him. And, like, I'm noticing they're, they're talking about a lot of different players being traded for prospects. Who are all these prospects? Who are all – I mean, are you – you, we're trying to make that – like every organization has this pot of gold of prospects that are all the next great players in the game when the percentages say most of these guys you trade for, they'll be dogs with fleas. There was a tweet that went out but right after the draft. Uh, the last 10 years of drafts and the percentage of each MLB team's picks that made it to the majors for any team. The highest – the Astros had 329 draft picks, 77 reached the majors. That means that was 23% of their draft picks have made it. So the best. The best. The lowest. Hold on. Okay. Set it up a little yeah. bit. Let it breathe. Yeah. Relax. Dodgers second We're best. trying to, to sell a story here. The team that drafted and sent the most guys to the big leagues is at 24%. 23. 23. I thought it was 24. 23. Houston's at 23. 23. 23. Now think about that. Who lives on that kind of margin? You draft how many guys at 23% work? Like, you go out and hire as a business. You hire 300 and something people for your company and only 23% end up working. Is that a good ratio as an employer? No. No? I want everybody to think about it. As you hear everybody, hey, Trey, like like we've talked about on the Clubhouse Show, when people call in, 833-625-2278, Trey to let Miss Diaz. Okay, we're saying the Houston Astros have been the best at drafting players and they make it to the big leagues, and it's only 23%. We're not talking star in the big leagues. We're not saying having great careers. We're saying guys they drafted, 23% made it. Just made it. So they could add a cup of coffee. Most of those guys aren't long-term players. Yeah, no. Um, when, uh, a lot when, of them are pitchers. Guys will come up. Guys get hurt. So, so they, It's essentially a fourth of their draft picks over the last 10 that's years. That's the very best. Yeah. Go to the A's. Uh, well, hold on. Let's set up the top five. and We'll tell the story more. Dodgers, second best. 67 guys reach it. That's 20%. Yankees. Second best is only 20%. Yeah. Yankees also 20%. For how many years? Uh, last 10. So in the last 10 years, only 20% of the guys that the Dodgers. Yankees. Both 20%. And Yankees have hired. Right? I'm looking at I'm trying to equate this to a normal workforce. Yeah. Right? 20% of the guys I – out of all the guys I've hired, only in the last ten years, only twenty percent worked out. Fourth was the Guardians; they had sixty guys reach it. That's eighteen percent. The Twins, Twins, Pirates, and Mariners all have seventeen percent. Then you go to the very bottom, the New York Mets, at number thirty. Nine percent of their players made it to the majors. So in the last ten years, nine percent of the Mets. That's thirty of the guys. people that let's say I was training. Because I get that's would that what you equate to a business? These are people you yeah. hire and train. I think that's a fair. I think it's fair. And only nine percent in the last ten years, the Mets people they train made it into the company. Yep, that's nine percent. That's thirty of three hundred twenty-eight. Uh, next lowest. Well, you know what? The other question would be, how much money 
did the New York Mets spend in making that happen? How much did you spend on your minor league system? How much money did you spend on coaches? How much money did you spend on insurance? How much money did you spend on signing bonuses? How much money did you spend on travel? The process. I was talking about the process last night on the Clubhouse Show. We're so enamored with the process. How much money did the Mets spend the last 10 years on development of their own draft picks and only 9% at least made it to the big leagues? Could have been a lot. Wouldn't you be interested in that number? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, let me just give you the bottom five. Uh, we'll you, you are hell-bent on getting these out. Well, I'm just like – Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. The, uh, surprisingly, Orioles not in the bottom five. Well, most of the guys are coming up now. Uh, Giants were 20 – Giants are at 13%. The Brewers are at 12%, and there's an even more alarming set. Over the last 25 years, the Brewers have not had a single guy drafted in the first round play a full season in Milwaukee is what someone tweeted out. It's pretty staggering. It's, it's so telling. Like was Ryan Braun not a first round pick? Because I once like again, I, we have all these people right now who are telling us how important minor league systems and prospects are, and that you need to get rid of players to replenish your minor league system. And you're telling me the Brewers. For 25 straight years. I already shot a hole in it. Braun was a first-round pick. Okay, one. That's the only one I can think of right now. Corbin Burns wasn't a first-rounder. I mean. Garrett Mitchell's hurt, so he's not. he doesn't count. So if we went through that list, you found one. But how much money did you yeah. spend? And you got – this is what gets me about the – Met. What, what are the aides? What are we? The aides are second lowest. Uh, 38 of 331 draft picks made it, or 11%. So, in the last 10 years, 11% of the guys we have trained have made it. 11% of the A's draft picks in the last 10 years have made it I, to the major leagues. I find that, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow Mike Farron to explain. Because Mike Farron, who, Power Alley, it's one of the best shows. kind of my morning show when I'm kicking around, when I'm going to play golf, or i got errands to run. Uh, I, I I don't listen to terrestrial radio anymore ever since I left terrestrial radio and I got my car and I got Sirius XM. And then, of course, your subscription to Sirius XM ends. And I'm like, uh, I love this thing. So I pay for it and you, I can get it on my phone. I can get it on Alexa and uh, between baseball and the NFL channel, uh, all the music channels, comedy channels are funnier than hell. Um, I love Sirius XM. Never had never had it before. But I absolutely love it. And their show, because he does it uh, with Jim Duquette, the former general manager. So you got a former general manager and Mike Farron, a longtime broadcaster, play-by-play guy, covered the game for a long time. Does a lot of college baseball. Does a lot of uh, minor league stuff. And going to kick it around to him. And I, I, I want to talk to a guy that I have the most respect for as a scout, Shooty Babbitt. Like, what is this theory that – You've got all these guys in Major League Baseball, and the theory now is you can just trade everybody for this endless amount of prospects. And I'm wondering, is there that many good prospects out there, or are we just wishing on a star? Like, what, 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 what is the reality? Because your numbers are telling me in the last 10 years, the majority of the guys you draft will not get to the big leagues, at least with you. 
And I think it's pretty consistent. Like when the best team's 23% and the worst team's 9%, that means a lot of the guys that you're drafting aren't making the big leagues. But yet right now at this time of the year, we're propping these guys up. We're acting like, oh, we're getting all these prospects. Right? We're getting all these guys and look how great they're going to be. How many times have we, just think as A's fans, been sold that? Right? Mark Mulder's traded for. Tim Hudson's traded for. Mark McGuire's been traded for. I mean, you can go down the line. Guys have been traded, and just the odds are these guys that you trade for, they're not going to live up to the hype. Some, very, you know what? A low percentage will. A low percentage. Does it help your depth? Does it help your rankings into the minor league system? Yeah, but you know what? You're now looking at what Bob Estes from the from the Matt Olson trade. You're so Joey Estes. Joey Estes. Who's Bob? Bob Estes, Bob Estes was the golfer. Uh, did Joey, you, are you Estes. combining him and Sean Estes into one? Or? The great Sean Estes. <laughs> uh, Christian Pache when he first started out, it's like, oh my God, he's Willie Mays. Uh, Franklin Barreto. Oh my God, Frank. We're not doing the Josh Donaldson deal unless Franklin Barreto is in the deal. Franklin Barreto has to be a part of this deal. Derek Barton. Because we heard, we heard Derek Barton was a uh, in the Cardinal. Was he in the McGuire trade? No, no, no. Uh, not McGuire. He was in the uh, Mulder, Mulder trade. He was in the Mulder trade, yeah. Oh, that's right. He wouldn't be old enough for that. He would, <laughs> that's TJ Matthews and those guys. Um, think about that. They were we were sold that we're not going to trade Donaldson to the Blue Jays until they threw Franklin Barreto in, and they threw Franklin Barreto in, and the whole front office went, "What? You're going to give in Franklin Barreto? <laughs> this is his, take Donaldson. I know he's going to win the MVP. I know he's going to get the most votes in the All Star game. I know Josh Donaldson can really, really play. He's a pain in the ass. I love him. He's a pain in the ass." And But, by the way, he's a tough guy who comes to play every day and he holds people accountable, like a Josh Reddick. But we're going to give that to you. Why? Franklin Barreto. We got Franklin Barreto. Who Did you hear that? We got Franklin Barreto. Guys, guys, we got Franklin Barreto. Who else is in that deal? Sean Nolan. Uh, Kendall Graveman. Oh, and uh, Brett Laurie. Brett Laurie chomping his fingers like a freak show. Kendall Graveman went on to have the best career. Uh, Nolan, I want to say, went to the Rockies and pitched in AAA for him. Yeah, that, nice guy. I think he, he was out of the he was out of the sport not not quick uh, not much longer after. Uh, Nolan, I mean Nolan's younger than I am. Uh, Nolan, oh wait, he pitched in a game for the Marlins this year. He's back. Back the truck up. Back the truck up. We are. He's back. He's back. He's on the he's on he's in the minors. He's on the seven day injury list, but he's back. How old, was he? 34? He's thirty three. Yeah, he's born in eighty nine, so he's a year younger than me. Uh, yeah, thirty three. He pitched in uh, one game. He pitched in three innings. Gave up six runs. Sean Nolan, I apologize. He he's was uh, so back from the dead. He twenty fifteen. He was with the A's at twenty five. Out of the sport until twenty twenty one. Appeared in. Ten games for the Nationals at age 31, and then he appeared again for the Marlins two years later this year. Yeah, I remember he was in the Rockies AAA for a time being. Good for him. Still living that dream, but it just goes to show. Remember that trade? What did the A's get out of that? Where's Franklin Barreto now? Um, hold on, I'm looking. Uh, he was He's in not J- in the Angels system anymore, right? He was in Japan. He was with Colorado, then with the White Sox. I'm, looking, I'm sorry, I'm still looking at Nolan. 
Uh, Get off Nolan. Uh, Franklin, Franklin Barreto. Barreto. Oh, he's going to be the next star. He's going to be a great player. Franklin Barreto currently is, uh, well, uh, hasn't played in the majors since 2020. Barreto hasn't been in the majors since no. 2020. He's only 27. Well, uh, dude, he's been kicking He's around. playing. He's actually played in – he played in 29 games with the Nationals minor league system, wow. and then he was in the he's in the independent scene. So I think he might be in the independent scene now. Run differential. Why does run differential matter? Just shows how. I mean, <clears throat> to me, it shows how well you're good at scoring runs and preventing runs. Okay. Well, why does that matter? That's how you win games. You have to score more runs than the other team to win. Wow, that matters still. Yeah. yeah. Scoring <laughs> runs matters. Preventing runs matter? Wait a minute. I, I mean, my weighted runs created plus, I've been sold that's the most important thing in baseball. Yeah, um, that's not. Not? No. No? Believe it or not, I'm not a big WRC plus guy. I mean, I, I, what, I, about, what about my Eno Sarah stuff plus? That's not the most important thing? My O swing percentage? What about my O swing percentage? That's not the most important? Um, maybe when you're talking about, uh, which we will get to, Spencer Strider in the pursuit of 300. Well, that's a big thing to worry about. Just look at these teams. If run differential really is a great, let's just say, a way a lot of people we can all come together, no matter where how you look at baseball, where we can say this is a good indicator on your future. Do you score a lot of runs, and do you score do you score more runs on a consistent basis than your opponent? Simple, right? Mm-hmm. I score more than I allow. Angels, plus 19. Six days left, plus 19. That's not great. Now, Texas, plus 149. You got Angels, plus 19. And I'll even say the Mariners, plus 30. How you feeling there? Um... I mean, they're, they're both over 500, but the Mariners were like a, the wait, Mariners wait, you, were an even you, you, run. You're flipping the script. We're, we're saying no, no, I'm, I'm, we're not looking at the record. The indicator here is run differential. Plus 19 and plus 30. How are you feeling about your future? This is the indicator of looking who you are right now, six days left, trading deadline. Am I a buyer? Am I a seller? Am I in? Am I out? Contender, pretender. Plus 19, Angels, what are you? I would feel more confident about Seattle. That has nothing to do with me wanting to make the playoffs. He won't even answer. Where are you with the Angels? I think they're a seller. You're a seller. Yeah. Seattle, only plus 30. It's higher than the, the Angels, so I, I like them. I doesn't matter. You're, 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 you, you think they're a buyer? Yes. I think they might, they're the, what everyone keeps saying, and I hate to say it, but they're the candidate of a buyer and seller at the same time. They can buy but also sell. They can acquire people and then sell like Logan Gilbert off. I don't know why Logan Gilbert's team keeps coming up because he's a guy, but they can maybe trade him and get someone in return, like a player for player for player thing. You're like, who is that? Who is that Batman bad guy, Two Face? Uh, yes. So you're like Two Face. You're like Two Faces. You're a buyer and a seller. Pretty much, yeah. It's kind of like if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Forty Nineers have four quarterbacks. Apparently. All right. Brock Purdy does not make the season with that elbow. Uh, I mean, he's supposed to be throwing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> New York Yankees, plus nine. All this talk about the Yankees. If run differential, we all agree, 
it can be looked at as an indicator for your future. Run differential only plus nine. They're going to buy, but I don't think they should. Because it's the Yankees, they're gonna they're gonna try to get better. They're getting judged back Friday, so they're gonna feel like okay, we got our guy coming back. I don't know. I don't think they. I don't think they have it this year. Look at the look at the AL Central. Oh God! All right, somebody's got to win it, but it is Minnesota with their pitching at plus forty one. Everybody else not even sniffing it. Guardians made the deal today. They're getting Noah Syndergaard. They're just plus six. So they're hoping to score more runs by trading a guy that was a good hit, a decent hitter for them for a guy that's not having a good year in L.A. All right, well, we'll see if the Guardians turn it Shane around. Shane Bieber, I think, has played a big role in this with yeah. his elbow problems. He's on he's, the 60-day injured list he's, now. He's probably he's, done, he's done until September. He's not pitching again. Yeah, I think he's done for the year. I mean, um, Atlanta obviously cruising in the I'm – well, I'm just going around the I'm going to go out of limb and say they're going to be a buyer. I don't think they need to buy. They'll, they'll make a small – they've already made a couple of small moves with Johnson and Hearn getting relievers, but I think they might make one – maybe get Adam Duvall from the Red Sox if they decide to trade him. Philadelphia right now is in that group that's for the three spots in the NL wild card. They're just plus eight, though. Plus eight. Now, they made their run as a, as a, as a team no one believed in. That's against the world mentality last year. Plus eight. Can you do it again? Can you make that run again? What was that song they kept playing? Oh. Every, everybody ends up having a song. I can't remember what it was. Well, look it up. What was the Philly? What was the Phillies? It's always a trendy old song, like an '80s song. Uh, dancing with my what dan- was it? Dancing on my own. Dancing on my own. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, your name on the Phillies. You a buyer or a seller? They're a wild card team right now, so they're going to be a buyer. I'm going to save the NL Central because it's the most fascinating debate, okay? Uh, Obviously, the Dodgers, everybody said the Dodgers, man, they're cruising. Giants, Arizona, Giants are just plus 18, Arizona just plus 5. Are you really all in at plus 18 and plus 5 and run differential with six days to go in the trading deadline? I heard someone say today that Arizona should maybe consider selling. Well, they're only plus five. Their future's ahead of them. Yeah, it was. Uh, Once again, though, we've already established everybody can talk about selling, but the odds are whatever you sell and acquire, not going to do a whole heck of a lot for you. I think we are in our game right now. Everybody wants to talk about replenish, replenish, get prospect. It's like they're acting like everybody's got this pot of gold of prospects, and that's not a reality. Numbers show it. Percentages show it. Yeah, I would I, – I forget who said it. It might have been Steve Phillips said it on MLB Network earlier that they should be – if they're, they should be buyers but buy controllable, like guys beyond this year. I don't know how many guys are really out there they can get their controllable yeah. like that. There's a lot of people talking about these moves, and it's just like we sit back and we just go, how is this possible? How is there that many great prospects just floating around that I can trade this guy and that guy? Everybody wants to just trade for prospects. It's like we act like there's a bazillion great prospects, but yet we look at drafts, how many guys come to the big leagues from your draft, how many guys have successful careers from your drafts, and it's not that high. Uh, we had a, we had a uh, commenter on YouTube asked, what's the Dodgers run differential? It's plus 97 right now. Yeah, Dodgers are cruising. Dodgers have the most – been, I've been kind of looking at the Rockies, knowing that we're going to play the Rockies on Friday. 
most hurt pitchers this year is? Colorado. They're number two to your. Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, I would say Colorado three of their top five prospects are all having Tommy John surgery. Dodgers have the most hurt pitchers this year, followed by the Colorado Rockies. Dodgers decided to go young. Dodgers have had injuries, yet here we are six days left, 58 and 43 with a plus 97 run differential. They had the historic run differential last year. This is as crazy. The, the Padres who lost the series to the Pirates, um, 49 and 54. Their expected win-loss, because you know what we love expected, their expected win-loss with their run differential is 57 and 46. But they're not. But they're not. They're 49 and 54. They might be the case if we're going to say run differential has anything to, to do with predicting or it's a good predictor of your future success or failure. Padres are plus 51. Do you say where you are with six days left, you're 49 and 54. It's an anomaly. You should be way better. You will be way better based off your run differential. Are you buying or selling that? Um, I'm going to sell from them. And Hater and, and uh, Snell are the two guys. I would trade Soto too. You're going to be a hater on Hater? Well, I'm, everyone knows I'm a big hater guy, but I think he trade Everybody him. knows that. Everybody, hey, you work with Commander Co. Yeah, he's a big hater guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a big hater guy. Uh, I would trade those two guys. I would try to trade Soto, too, but I don't. So you're selling San Diego. You're selling Arizona. What do you do in San Francisco? Plus 18. Still not very high. Their offense stinks. And they just called up their top hitting prospect, Marco Luciano, playing tonight, wearing number 37. I would buy. All in on plus 18. Now the central. Fascinating. Milwaukee minus three, Cincinnati minus six. The only team with a plus in front of their number for run differential is the Chicago Cubs. They're 49 and 51. They are a plus 45. What's their uh, expected? 54 and 46. You got Stroman. You got Cody Bellinger. You got Wrigley Field and a ton of cash. Do you shake them dice and roll them? Or are you a seller? Well, we went over this yesterday, and I said about trading Bellinger. So, yes, I would sell if I was them. Now, think about what he just did. He had all these sell. I'm still trying to figure out who you're going to sell for. Who are all these all these teams that are buyers that have all these prospects. Where who are all these brilliant players that you're selling for? It's easy to say you're a seller. It's easy to say oh, I'm gonna get rid of this guy and I'm gonna get rid of this guy. How many great Franklin Barretos are out there that you're gonna get sold on at this trading deadline? Oh, they're gonna throw in Franklin Barreto. You're gonna have to make the deal. I just. The unknown in baseball right now is better than the known. Is that safe to say? And I think Mike Farron agreed with that. The unknown, we feel better about the unknown than the known right now. Because the unknown is sell your players off, go get younger players. I like younger players, but I like younger players that I know, right? If you're just telling me random younger players from whatever organization, hell, I don't know what they're going to be. Yeah. If I have good players. 
Yeah, like uh, I can't, was I heard one of them on MLB Network Radio earlier. I was like, oh yeah, you should package a Stroman and uh, and Bellinger and send them to the Yankees, and uh, you maybe get uh, you get Volpe back and Peraza. And I'm like, the Yankees aren't trading. How's Volpe doing? Not not very well. Uh, you mean the next Derek Jeter? The next Derek Jeter. How's he doing? The next Derek Jeter, 22 years old, um, <clears throat> 210 batting average, uh, 13 home runs, uh, 18 steals. Oh, okay. Uh, 662 OPS. I've seen a couple of those home runs. They're that. Uh, cheap. cheap all, only out at Yankee Beep. Stadium. Uh, OPS plus, hundreds league average, 83. Yeah. But it's positive war. Well, there's a reason why the Yankees are plus nine. Shamanai is going to join us here just coming up as we were able to do an interview with him earlier today. Fabulous. Shamanai, one of the great guys. I, yeah. I ideally would have loved to kept Matt Chap. No, not Matt Chapman. I would have liked to kept Olsen. I would have liked to have Simeon. I would have liked to kept Bassett. Manaya Manaya was Manaya was a player that was comfortable here. Certain players play better where they're really comfortable. He has never looked the same since he's left here. Didn't look the same last mm-hmm. year in San Diego and hasn't looked the same in San Francisco. Manaya was comfortable. It was a good fit. And sometimes Oakland has just been a really good fit for players. Marcus has never had as good. Marcus has been good, but he hasn't been as good as 2019. Um, what do you get, 45 home runs in 21 with the Blue Jays? I know, band box, ballpark, but. He had a good year that year, but yeah, never I mean, has been as good as when he finished third in the MVP balloting for the Yankees. Yeah, what do you? Where are you finishing in twenty one? See, I'm I'm with you. I don't think he's been uh, like right now. He doesn't even have an eight hundred OPS. Yeah, it's uh seven eighty six. Marcus in twenty one finished third in MVP voting as well. Played in every game, hit forty five home runs, drove in one hundred and two. What Toronto? His only his only year there. What was his OPS the year he was uh, third MVP for uh, eight, the Oakland Athletics? 892, 21-873. So, yeah, has never been better when it comes to OPS. And, and he was playing what position? Uh, shortstop. Every day? Yeah. For a team that won the division, right? Uh, correct. Oh, no, 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 no. That was 2020. Yeah. Wild card, 97 games. I no, played in 53. Took- I, I think I'm going to be right on that one, that playing shortstop every day for a team that won 97 games, finishing third in the MVP was his best year. Well, he had the run score, too. How many runs did he end up scoring? Like 123? Well, tell me what his OPS plus was. Uh, 139. Versus? 2021, 131. Oh, yeah. You know why? It's tougher to hit in Oakland than it is Toronto. Very true. That's, 30, 30, that's, that's your expected. What's your expected? 33 homers. That's, when, that, we, that's when we take all the ballparks and factor them in? Yeah. Uh-huh. 123 runs scored in Oakland that year. Pretty good, huh? Nice little year. Yeah. Turned himself into a nice little player. But As Jay Jaffe told us, could be a fringe guy you look at the Hall of Fame. I don't it's, – it's, it's, it's tough to do offensive guys because if you like, – like Donaldson. Donaldson flipping to Toronto where it's a great hitting environment. Really, it's for pitchers. Certain pitchers, like you, you pitch here, it's just it's – like, it's like a perfect fit. You're like, like pitching here, it's just – Guys love pitching here. Love the mound. Love the ballpark. Love the big foul territory. They, love, they just love it. So I don't think there's any guy that 
left here. I, there's one guy I think that left here and had success that I can think of right off the top of my head. Everyone's, I know everyone's going to point at Sonny Gray. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because of the years having here. I'm going Gio Gonzalez. I mean, Sonny Gray left here and did nothing but struggle and was okay as a Red. Yeah, I think he's having a good year this year. I'd go yeah, Gio. But that's years later, and he's changed a lot. I'd go Gio. Gio what? Gio Gonzalez. Gio what? Left here and was great? I think the best guy would be Tim Hudson. I'm just thinking, well, I'm not thinking of guys like recently. Yeah, Hudson, but I'm you thinking of guys Hudson like. Hudson old? I mean, he's older than Gio. Oh. I mean, Gio, what? Gio, and he won 16 games in 2011, goes to Washington, next year he wins 21. Mm-hmm. And then what? 11, 10, 11, 15. ERA, 336, 357, 379, 4.5. Just kept getting higher after Oakland. Uh, then 296 the next year as he got older. Uh, that's one year out of a lot of years of high year. Let, let, let's look at Commander Cody wants to be right. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six. So five, five out of six years, a pretty decent-sized ERA for a guy that – I don't know. I think I'd go Tim Hudson. Next career. Tim Hudson won over 200 games, right? Uh, yes. Did he? I believe he won over 200 games. World Series. The only, the only, the only Tim Hudson did have Tommy John surgery. That would be the only drawback. Yeah, two twenty left. Yeah, I couldn't remember how many, how many total. Two hundred twenty-two games. He's another guy. Fifty-eight. His war if around fifty-eight. I mean, he was on the ballot one year, and he got he was already off. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Without joining us, you see him as one of the analysts on Giants pre- and post-game live, getting you ready for Giants baseball. George Contos joins us here. George, great to see you. How's everything? Plain. Nice day in Chicago here. A little humid, a little warm. Hopefully you have the same conditions out there in the Bay. Yeah, it is. You know what? At this time of the year when they talk about this is when the dog days of summer hit, because it's funny, like you, everywhere you go around the country, you see where it's hot, and you guys as players, like we don't think about it because here in the Bay Area, we don't see the 105. We don't see the crazy humidity. But for you players – this is where you start t- talking about late July, you get into August. This is when it gets brutal for a lot of guys. I'll tell you what, the majority of my career, I had it very easy playing in the Bay and having the same conditions that you guys have right there. But when you're in the Midwest right now, when it's 92, 93 degrees, 90% humidity, you get yeah. loose, at least as a bullpen guy, really quickly. So you can, you can conserve some bullets when you're in the, the bullpen. And you know how hot and steamy it is. You know, it's funny. I, I was listening to some people talk on SiriusXM today. And because I've been warning everybody, I'm like, you got to get 4,374 outs a year. And that's not counting extra innings. Like, people don't think about this. There are so many outs that you have to go get. 
And now here we are at the deadline, and everybody's looking around. You got the buyers, you got the sellers, and everybody's looking at each other. And there's no pitching out there to get. It's like it's like really scary that every single contender they need starters, they need relievers. Some people need a closer, and it's like where do you? There is no arms depot to go get people anymore. The state of pitching in our game. How much are you worried about it? I'm not that worried about it just because the Giants bullpen has been so good as of late. And I mean by as of late, the last couple months, they've been just fantastic. They've been one of the reasons why the Giants have been one of the top teams in the big league since about May 1st. Uh, Starting rotation, I think, could use an upgrade. And I think that there are some guys on the market that would be able to help them. So I think bullpen arms are always going to come at a premium. And you, you typically see starting pitchers are the ones that are going to move at the deadline. What does that mean to a team when you guys are battling, you're in it, and you know your clubhouse needs something, and your front office goes out and and delivers, whether it's an arm, whether it's a bat, but they deliver you something. What kind of shot on the uh, shot in the arm is that for a ball club? Well, it's a, it's a huge shot in the arm, and and I and I think that it, it always there, there's always kind of like a little premonition or some preclude that tells you what the team is going to do at the deadline, and I think that we've heard from at least on our end. Farhan has said in the media that he wants to upgrade the middle infield, and I think starting pitching is going to be one of those places where we look to upgrade a little bit. So when you have the mindset in the clubhouse that you know that you're going to add at the deadline, it makes you get a little bit more confident that, hey, we are potentially postseason bound. And if the season were to end today, unfortunately the Giants wouldn't be. But you know what? They're right there in the division, and they're right there at the uh, wild card. So I think they're, you know, other than a six-game skit that they're currently on, they've been playing pretty good baseball for the last few months. So so the macro picture is actually really good. You got to experience Giants A's. You got to experience Yankees Mets. Is there a big difference when you get into these city rivalry games for the players? Do you feel that? You definitely feel it. You know, I, I have experienced. Experienced both, you know, Yankees Mets was was a, if you can play in New York, I feel like you can play anywhere. But there's definitely something about this Giants A's rivalry. There is definitely some bad blood. I've had a lot more experience in this Battle of the Bay uh, or Bay Bridge series or how, whatever you want to call it, going back to however far you want to go. Um, but there's definitely some animosity between these two teams, and you have some fan bases that are very, very die hard about the teams that they choose to represent. So you definitely feel the uh, the pressure and the, and the electricity when this, when this series gets going. Well, right now, when you look at the standings, it's absolutely wild. We were just going over the wild card. When you got the Cincinnati Reds and you got the Arizona Diamondbacks, you got the Marlins, you got the Giants, you got the Phillies, they're all right there together right before the trading deadline. As a player, just how great is that where you know you got a shot, there's three spots you're all going after? I mean, it's what it's all about. No, Chris, you're actually you're absolutely right. I mean, when, when you're going into a time like this, knowing that there's actually something to play for and you have meaning behind showing up to the ballpark every single day, that makes the, you know, the world of difference in your focus and your commitment level. And you show up to the ballpark and you know that every – single out matters every single day and regardless of what a team is going through throughout that season that should be the case anyways but when you know that you're 
at the deadline and it's July 25th and you're sitting here with a few days to go before adding or subtracting from your team, it makes every out a little bit more important. You know, I think about the Giants right now having lost six straight. Obviously, the offense hasn't gotten going. But how much do you as a Giants player, you just get done with that brutal long road trip. We just talked about playing in the heat. You're playing in bad weather. The tarps are coming on the field. I mean, the whole thing. Because I know I've been there doing TV, doing the A stuff, and I look over, the tarps are on the field. I'm like, oh, God, I felt for you guys. Now you're home. Now it's a long homestand. How much do you think this is going to help this team rebound and kind of get out of this little mini slump? Oh, man. Every, every time we used to get back to, to AT&T when I played, now Oracle. Uh, every time you get back to Oracle, you know as a pitcher, you have, have an advantage. And, and you always do because as a ready to challenge a hitter, a right-handed hitter to the opposite part of the field, and that is just such a mind-easing thing to know because they're always taught to get guys away, down and away. If you're a right-handed pitcher, you're facing a right-handed hitter, down and away is your safe zone. If you're going to challenge a guy to go the other way, not one opposite field home run has been hit into McCovey Hove in the history of the ballpark. So that's one of those things where you get back to Oracle Park, you, you're, in the, you're in the rhythm and the routine of your home ballpark, you're on a little bit of a skid, you've been out east, Things have been a little bit different. You get back, you get a little bit more comfortable and confident. And that six-game road, uh, that six-game that six-game skid on the road, can come to an end tonight, playing your crosstown rivals, and that can build a ton of confidence if you can get right back on the right you know, track. You, you you think about the division and Arizona. Really not a surprise. We all knew they would be better, but they were out in front for a while. They have now fallen back. Uh, as we talked about, they're tied with the Giants at 54 and 47. Knowing that the Dodgers didn't go all in in the offseason, you know, they, you know, not there's that CBT, those different layers you want to start getting under, especially if they want to go after Shohei Otani in the offseason. And knowing that the Dodgers have been okay with using a lot of young players, especially young pitchers. Are you surprised at all that here we are in late July and the Dodgers with their strategy, 57 and 42 are in first place? No, I'm not surprised at all. Because I think if you, if, you, if you take the lineups and you put them on paper and you don't play anything at all, but you just look at the lineups and, and the depth and everything that these teams have, the Dodgers are still the best team on paper in the National League West. And the... Arizona Diamondbacks are very athletic, and they're a really good team. They've proven that. They showed it last year, and they've lived up to the hype this year. The Giants have done a really good job since May 1st of playing really good baseball, and, and they've been firing on all cylinders up until just a couple days ago. But I think it was the expectation that the Dodgers were still going to be the favorite in this division, and you can expect – that they're going to add at the deadline and they're going to try and fill every hole that they possibly have. They have prospects to spare. They have money to spare. They've cleared payroll for the, as you mentioned, potential of signing Shohei Otani. The Dodgers are still the powerhouse in this division. And the fact that, that the Giants and any other team are still this close within striking distance at the trade deadline is really encouraging because this is still up for grabs. The wild card spots are up for grabs. The division is still up for grabs, and that's a win for everybody else other than the Dodgers at this point in the season. Are you still shocked where San Diego is? 
I am shocked where San Diego is. I think they're. I think again on paper they're too good to be where they're at, and it's it's one of those things where you look you looked at everything coming into the into the season, and you looked at the NL West, and you were like, oh man, this is a two horse race, and one of those horses just hasn't been able to put it all together, and it just goes to show you that on paper doesn't really matter. And that's why you actually have to go out and play 162 games to see where things finish out. Because there are some teams that can sneak up and bite you, as the Diamondbacks are showing they can do. The Giants are playing really good baseball. And unfortunately for the Padres, they might be looking to subtract at the deadline. But they're one of those teams that just hasn't lived up to the expectations. Yeah, that's kind of the thing that we've been talking about here. Because you're starting to look around like at a lot of the sellers. I mean, like you look at the A's and you look at certain teams and those are going to be, I'm making phone calls to like the A's if I didn't get anything <laughs> and I'm just trying to get some. So maybe some of the best sellers are teams we wouldn't think. Maybe we will see the Mets. Maybe it is Verlander out there. I mean, our man Stu the other day was trying to pitch some type of Otani for Fernando Tatis <laughs> and Trout. Maybe it's the teams will make this thing exciting. Are the, are the teams we never thought even would even consider being sellers? Yeah, again, this is – first of all, Stu's got one of those minds where he starts talking to you about something. You're just like, oh, I never even thought about doing something like that. His <laughs> mind goes so far back in baseball. Uh, he's one of the greatest dudes ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, pay, payroll doesn't really mean anything. And we've seen that for a long time. I mean, look at the Yankees, look at the Mets, as you mentioned, look at the Padres. These are teams that you thought on paper were supposed to just go out and just take care of business all year. But this is the beauty of baseball. This is why we go out and we play 162 games. And you know what? I've said this for a long time. It always comes down to the last seven games of the regular season. That's when everyone's just biting their nails, heart rate up. Everyone's super excited. That's when things get decided is that last week of the season. But you know what? In the case of the Mets, for example, or the Padres, they're going to have some really tough decisions to make in the, in the next few days. And they, they have some pieces that are going to be very sought after. And I'm sure their phones are ringing big time. I'm sure Stevie Cohen, if he's making those decisions, and everybody with the Padres are getting all these phone calls for Juan Soto and guys who are you know, potentially going to be on the block to upgrade other lineups. And you know what? I guarantee you Farhan's one of those dudes calling, being like, hey, is this guy available? Is this guy available? Because we're trying to – I guarantee you we're trying to bolster our starting rotation and our middle infield just based on the comments that I've heard him say throughout the media. So I know that the phones are ringing, and the next six, seven days are going to be very interesting. Let's end on this. You're one of those smart Northwestern guys. What were you? You were like a – were you like an econ major or economics major? Better right? believe that, baby, econ major. All right. So when you so when you're not here in the Bay Area carrying everybody over there at NBC Sports Bay Area on Giants pregame live, what 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 are you doing? What what do you got going now? Well, you know, I got this fresh tan today from being on the golf course. Nice. And uh, and when I'm not when I'm not covering Giants baseball and talking about baseball and, and, and scratching that itch that I love so much for the majority of my life, I actually work in finance doing some business development for a uh, boutique finance firm here outside of Chicago. So I'm always staying busy. It's called folks always making money. Always be closing. <laughs> yes. Always be closing. Hey, it's always, great. always. It's always great to have you on the program. I mean, when we thought Giants and A's, we had to have you on. So I, I know you're not working this week, but we always appreciate it. And we'll see you at NBC hopefully soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great chat with you as always. The great George Contos right here on A's Cast Live. 
Well, let's bring in. Let's. let's I mean, I've, I buttered him up enough about how great he is. His show, Sirius XM. I mean, women want to be with him. Men want to be like him. All that kind of stuff. I mean, he was the voice of the WBC, right? I mean, so it's like he's he's like an international rock star now. Correct. Well, he's here now. Oh, hey, what's up, Farron? How are you? Well, I mean. You know, I'll always have time for the little people in uh, this world. Seriously, I mean, so there's nobody littler than you. Yeah, this this is this isn't Team Japan here, and everybody's watching over in Tokyo. We're just this little thing called A's Cast Live. But we appreciate up, your time. How are you? I'm good. I just got back from the old ballpark where I was trying to learn a few things about the upcoming trade deadline uh, in anticipation of this spot because I wanted to bring you the freshest information are you breaking that the diamondbacks are trading for Shohei otani no because i'm not an idiot oh okay what are they saying over there i mean they're just like what are they saying well they want to be aggressive on the pitching front they're looking for relievers the cardinals have a number of pitchers that are of interest to a bunch of teams that's basically what i can give you well yeah i was thinking about you today i'm watching mlb network and it's like Everybody is like, hey, this guy, hey, you got to trade him. This guy, you got to trade him. We're trading for, you know, you want to trade him for prospects. And I just start to think, like, we just went over, like, the New York Mets in the last 10 years, only 9% of the guys that they have drafted have actually made it to their club. And I just start to think, like, we're acting like everybody's got this pot of gold of prospects that you can trade for. Is there really that many prospects that are worth trading for out there in minor league baseball if you have a good major league player? I mean, I think it just kind of varies, right? So, like, it, it's, it, it all depends. Like, for those superstar players, you're almost never going to get the same level of return that you would for, based on just playing them for two months, even if you're out of the race. Now, that said... You know, are you able to get more than you would get if you attach draft pick compensation to them? Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of where that discussion is, is it's are you getting more valuable players for your organization, whether they pan out to be big leaguers or end up being trade chips than otherwise? Then sure, I think that's the case. And I think with, you know, guys on expiring contracts, I mean, I think it's a way for teams to add depth to their organization overall. And I think there are some teams that are really good at identifying hidden gems in other systems. Um, so it's a worthwhile, it's more than a worthwhile thought experiment. It's worthwhile for teams to do with certain players. The problem is, is that we have decided as an industry that what we're going to cover is the minutia of stuff that really is insignificant. You know, like the the Otani discussions about, you know, like I'll pick on John Palmarosi because he's a friend of mine and I'm, I'm happy to pick on <laughs> him all the time. But like, like I love JP, but like the Diamondbacks and, and Orioles are interested in Shohei Otani the other day. Whoa, stop the presses. No kidding. Contending team interested in acquiring good player, you yeah. know, or, you know, John Heyman the other day, whether there's the pirates are willing to listen on David Bednar and Mitch Keller. Show me the names on the Pirates roster that they're not willing to listen to player to to trade discussions on, and I'll show you an empty sheet. I mean, I think that goes for just about everybody. So we're so thirsty for this, what feels like information and is really infotainment, in part because front offices 
are much more quiet about what they are doing than they have been before. And it fills this information vacuum. And then they get ticked off about it because there's, there's only a modicum of truth to any of this. So that's my, my theory today was you should appoint an assistant general manager of comms whose job is to just set the record straight off the record on what teams are actually involved in and what they're not like that would save a lot of time and energy and make this a lot better process than what we're just throwing darts at an invisible dartboard. Basically. I love infotainment. That's what it is. I love that. It gets clicked, right? It gets excited. Like I love trade season. Like I love it, but I want to be able to talk about it realistically and not create these false expectations that end up driving lousy phone calls on a sports talk show for three hours. Sorry. Well, some of us have to take those phone calls. I mean, not all of us can be these rich and lousy. We're not in in our rich ivory tower in New York city in Manhattan with your fancy GM partner. I mean, I, I will say, A's fans are never lousy callers. They're always extremely smart. Everyone knows that they are smarter and better looking than the average sports fan. Thank you very much. You know, we appreciate Well, we're an educated group out here in the Bay Area. At least we think we are. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I have not figured out a way for us to get Shohei Otani, by the way. I've been trying to figure it out. I I just want to let you know there's no infotainment here on Ace Cast Live. Can you trade Cody straight up for him, do you think? Oh, I would have traded Cody, and I would have traded. Can I, I? I would have started with Cody. I would have go. I would have go with Lemus Diaz next, Jace Peterson, and maybe have thrown in Tony Kemp. But I might have been well, too high. Might have been too wait high. Wait a second. Like I think if you could just trade Cody for him, then at least you get him for A's cast for two months before he hits free agency. Farron, my wife would be so excited if I was if I was trading. She's an Angels fan, so she would be uh, over the moon if I was down in Orange County. Well, yeah, well, you know, they don't travel their radio broadcasts, so you're screwed there. Yeah, well, they'll do it from home. Well, he's having his COVID <laughs> shot. He could go. <laughs> yeah. he could. Well, they don't travel their radio broadcasters, though. They well, just don't, which is that, ridiculous. Well, the start, start of that was they didn't have COVID shots, or one of them didn't. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Right? This was not. You know, and that then it got the to. Case, but this is a we are saving money, a small amount of money, but not traveling our radio broadcasters and disrespecting our fans. That's what it is. I tell you, I'm not going to be any, any shocked about people traveling uh, in the next five years. Our industry, I mean, it's crazy. What 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 we could see, especially on the radio side, in the next five years. Wow. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think the know. two that are doing it are outliers on it. Um, I think if you're interested in keeping your fans engaged with the product, the expense of doing that is so minimal that it's like it's barely a line item. I think there's going to be some there are obviously huge changes that are coming in TV, but just but remote broadcasting for teams. If that happens, you are just absolutely destroying your product. You are doing the dumbest thing you can on what is a relative pittance compared to what the rest of the budget is. It is beyond stupid to do it for a team beyond stupid. Yeah, I did. I didn't, you know, it all kind of started. We Bally's. Then we heard about the Padres. Then it was the D backs. Then I heard about the Rockies and AT&T Sportsnet or wherever the hell they call it. Then our buddy Jeff Blum was just in town and he was talking about it in Houston. Uh, you know, we, we were at the winter meetings when Madford, Madford was saying, hey, listen, we'll get to Madford in a second, too. But when he said, hey, cable television is not the future of Major League Baseball, 
I know that, you know, it's you think about Sirius, you think about XM, you think about how they battled each other for years and we didn't know if they were going to make it. You got to pay for it. Now it's strong. It's been doing well. I know there's been some hurdles, but for the most part, I still subscribe because of the Power Alley. I still pay my monthly. Um, but, yeah, how we view baseball is changed. We know we're still going to get it on this. We know we're still going to get it on our phones and our tablets, and that's what the way it is going. But isn't it crazy mm-hmm. how fast it's changing? Well, I think, yeah, 2020 was an inflection point for something that was coming down the road anyway, right? And so, you know, what you're seeing is, um, you know, sports teams and leagues dealing with legacy media shifting, right? It's not unlike what we saw with newspapers 20 years ago and the shift to more digital print. And the question is, how do you make the money that you are making now? Because what what these regional sports networks have been paying teams is an astronomical fee every year, and it's mostly predicated on people who aren't interested in buying the product, having to buy the product as part of the cable bundle, right? I mean, that's Correct. a great yeah. deal for the consumers, like for, for the, the clients like that. Um, So now how do you get that? And I think one of the things that you're going to see is a greater emphasis on reach. You know, I literally just I had a lot of conversations at the ballpark today. And one of them was about this or a couple of them were about this in part because the Diamondbacks are one of the teams that has now uh, been separated from their contract with the regional sports network, in this case, Bally Sports Arizona, and had Major League Baseball take over their broadcast. They're like the Padres in that regard Um, and where the future goes. And one of the things that everybody is watching very closely is what happens with two NBA teams and an NHL team, the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, and the Vegas Golden Knights are all going to over-the-air broadcasts for their games, which is going to significantly significantly expand their reach and what i mean by over the air i'm talking yeah, about more like, traditional what you tv channels you, you mean, know like I mean like i hook up my uh, my rabbit ears again yeah. i got i gotta go well, where are my rabbit? I, I gotta have them somewhere my <laughs> they're also part of your basic package in you know whatever whether you're streaming or a linear bundle right or a cable or satellite yeah. bundle or if you're doing a streaming one and that reach is going to be a significant part of this future, I think, for sports teams and sports leagues in that not everybody has been able to access all of this. I mean, look, we went almost 10 years with the Dodgers not being on most of the TV networks or most of the TV carriers in L.A. I mean, that's not good for the sport overall in their health. It was good for their bottom line in terms of what they made with those RSN deals. But but I think there are going to be some bright spots that come out of this in market streaming, albeit for a fee, is going to be one of them. Um, I think reach is going to be another, which, you know, well, again, we're going to have to dip into our pockets for some of that as fans. We are going to have better access to a lot of the product, and I think that's important. Well, here's my question because it kind of takes me back to like when we were kids. If baseball goes back to regular television – non-cable television is johnny carson still going to come on after the game well that's a good question i probably not he's dead chris ah remember the tonight show how great that used to be years ago oh yeah your parents would let you stay up is there anything else you'd like to talk about do you remember rotary phones i mean if don rickles can come out and they're smoking cigarettes on a talk show the good old days Farron. um Speaking of the commissioner, because obviously he's a uh, not a popular character around these parts, 
And there really? Were, and there were a lot of people who wanted to sell you that he could be in trouble. He was voted again. I know. I know. Don't shoot. Don't shoot me. I, I'm just the guy doing ace cast. And I would listen to it. I would bite my lip. But people were honestly in our area trying to sell that, well, because of what's going on with Oakland and da-da-da-da-da, that he could be in trouble. And I had the whole time bit my lip going, you're selling something that's not true. He is still going to be the commissioner. He got an extension. They all voted for it today. Explain to everybody what's going on. So this was the first day of an 18-month period before the end of his contract. Um, there's 18 months ago on this contract, there's a nine month period where only a majority vote needs to carry in order to, to extend the commissioner. And that's where we are. So we got another four years tacked onto his deal through 2029 and the commissioner in the sense that he has made money for his, uh, bosses who are the 30 owners has been extremely successful in that regard. So there were very few, chances that this was not going to happen. There would have needed to be an 11th hour scandal that could not have been foreseen for that to happen. And I just don't, as much as, as Rob Manfred is an imperfect public figure in the way he goes about things, I do not think that he is living, at least to the best we can, any of us can tell, a scandalous life or doing anything untowards behind the scenes. What he is is a very good labor attorney who represents management in labor negotiations. And he's been very good at that over the course of his career. So all of the stuff that's happened with EAs, while it has been unfortunate in the way it's played out, and while he has not necessarily made things feel better for A's fans or really anybody else, um, with the way he's handled the comments, we're going to have a minimal impact. The, the, the fact is, is that he has overseen record revenues for this sport over the course of his tenure. And even with the RSN failings, which, again, are going to make a major hit to revenues. I mean, major. We're talking probably two and a half to three billion dollars a year that at least a portion of is in flux. Um, the feeling is, is because he has spent the most time on trying to figure out the best solution that the path forward is going to be better. There's going to be some short-term bumps in the road, but long-term things are going to be fine for the sport. And so that's really why Rob Manfred was, was reelected today from the owner's standpoint, he has done a terrific job. Even if, if there are a number of fans and, and outside of Oakland too, that quibble with his bedside manner. I cannot see any scandal coming up on Rob Manfred. Like I couldn't, I just don't, yeah, he's like family guy, loves his kids, loves golf. Like he's just not warm and fuzzy. This right? isn't gonna like, be that's... Marv this isn't gonna be Marv Albert. No offense, Marv. <laughs> no. But remember I mean, with Marv, just... you're like, Marv Albert likes what? He does what? Well, I mean, like, listen, I yes. don't think he's like I, I just think he's a guy that because he's I have a little bit of empathy in this. I get frustrated with things that the commissioner says too. And it's more about the tone and the way that things come across. I try to remember that he had spent zero days in his upbringing trying to be ready for public life, right? And then when you become commissioner, all of a sudden, everything you do is under a microscope. And I also am the son of an attorney 
So when he has a snarky comment a little bit, and usually it has to do with something that is speculative. You grew up with that. <laughs> I understand it a little bit, right? Now, my dad isn't quite as snarky uh. there, but they do hold some things pretty close, which is like attorneys do not do very well with speculative questions. They want to deal in facts, right? Like they want to be able to deal in things. And there are things that I'm sure that he feels like he has to do that may not be his personal preference because of who he represents. But that's his job is to take care of the 30 owners and to be a representative for them, specifically in in labor negotiations and in organizing and and helping to oversee the negotiation of uh, of contracts so um you know whether it be tv or whatnot so i i really think it's this was a foregone conclusion um you know from that standpoint he has been successful in his job um i wish he was a little bit better at the softer side of the gig that's something i've wished for for a long time because it doesn't always make you feel good adam silver make does the same things but he makes you feel good about base about basketball right like that's that's the th- the difference is that adam silver's comes across as much more empathetic in person than the commissioner manfred does and that's just a difference in his personality i'm not going to you know, like there's only so much you can fault him for that. You know, it's kind of like we all just learn something about ourselves. Like we just, you know, we're talking to a psychologist. You know, my dad was a career restaurant guy. Now I know why he treated me as an employee. <laughs> now I get it. Now I was like he could hire and fire me and make me do whatever I want. So now I get it. Now my late father, I if it what if Mike Farron would have been around when my father was alive, I I, I would have understood more. Thank you. I, Is this I, I why you make that. Cody do the dishes? <laughs> <laughs> or you're out of here. What? You're out of here. I'll get somebody else. Craigslist in two seconds. Um, and, and I like how you put that too, because I'm having to do that now with a lot of our players, where they do stuff in games, and then after the game, they talk to the media, and they're not good at it. And then I have to respond to it. And that's where mm-hmm. I have to remind everybody that these guys, this isn't like college basketball where you make a run on CBS and TNT and whatever during the tournament and you're dealing with media or college football. You're used to playing in the SEC or the Big 12 or Pac-12 championship game, then playing in a bowl game, talking to media. Our guys are minor leaguers who are young. Some are not even English as their first language. And next thing you know, boom, we pop them up to the big leagues and we got microphones and cameras in front of them. And we expect them to be able to detail their their failure in a very good way and explain it. And sometimes they don't explain it well. It seems like they're not owning up to it. And it's just not the case. We don't have media training in baseball. So these guys haven't been trained to deal with the media after the game, especially when they've failed. I think it's a really good point. And I think it's something that actually has gotten better over the years. I think I think most young players, especially in the U.S., have come up under more media attention. I don't want to say scrutiny, but whether they're playing in perfect game events or they're playing in the Southeastern Conference or the ACC, they are dealing with media members and questions from the media far more than they were 15 or 20 years ago. And in that sense, I feel that they are significantly more polished. That said, if you are a competitor or care about your job at all and you make a mistake 
and 20 minutes after you may have made a mistake that helped to lead to the downfall of your coworkers, somebody's putting a microphone in your face to ask you why you failed. That's a very uncomfortable situation. And it's one that you have to get comfortable with and you don't get comfortable with until it happens to you. I'm a Big believer. I didn't realize we were going to get so philosophical today, Tony. But like, we learn a lot more from. Okay, our fine. All right, all right. Well, here's what we'll do. Where's Otani getting traded? Is that what everybody wants? Yeah, we're we are far better. We are far more far better at at learning from our failures uh, and our shortcomings than we are at learning from our successes. And so, when players have struggles on the field, and then they struggle to answer the questions afterwards, the hope is that they learn from that, and the next time. They have a little bit better response or a better answer, but they go through it because they haven't been through it before. Cause you're right. There's not, if you struggle in Vegas for the aviators, you there's a good chance. Nobody's covering you. Right. Uh, but you come to the big leagues and you struggle. There is you know, even the 10th largest market in the U S that has newspaper writers, TV people, radio people that are there asking you questions about why it went wrong. And it just takes a little bit of time. And that's a real struggle with a young team too. And especially one that has had, you know, a, a a number of struggles this year like the A's players have. Uh, we're finding out it's Noah Syndergaard is going to be going to the Dodgers, to the Guardians, according to Ken Rosenthal. So we'll keep you updated on that trade between the Guardians and the Dodgers. I, I want to ask you about, you know, when, when, where we are with six days left. And there's still questions on for some teams because there's so many teams bunched up. What do you think about front offices right now? Six days left. Am I am I in or am I out? Am I am I a dealer or am I selling? Do you think there are still teams that are torn right now with only six days left, trying to figure out who are we? Are we a contender? Are we a pretender? Are you think teams are still dealing with that six days to go? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably like two teams that are actually dealing with it. We actually went through this exercise this morning on, on the radio, and really, I think it's kind of like the Cubs and the Mets, right? The Cubs, I don't know that anybody um, expects them to be a postseason team, but they're, what, five back in the wild card race, right? So they're right there coming into play tonight. Um, the Mets, you know, it's a little bit different situation in that they have a roster that is largely underachieved, at least by our, our external and their internal projections. Um, and so, you know, do they feel like they can put themselves in a position over the last two months to be competitive? Maybe. Um, not to mention that really the only player that they have that I think would net a significant return who's likely to be dealt or would potentially be dealt would be David Robertson. So I think you have a lot of those teams that are kind of in the middle whose preference is to buy. I think what's interesting, and we saw this earlier today with the Miami trade, and actually we saw it right now with the, the Dodgers trade, right, is that you have two teams that are – willing to do need for need deals, right? Dodgers needed right-handed hitting infielder, especially one who could play shortstop. The guardians are in desperate need of pitching depth for the first time in seemingly a bazillion years. So, and the contract probably lines up pretty well between Syndergaard and Rosario, right? So that's where that trade is today. You know, Jorge Lopez has really struggled as a twin. He has an extra year of control left. Dylan Floro's peripherals are better than what his numbers are. Both those teams are in contention. It's a change of scenery for two guys, right? And so you see that trade. And I think that's something that's worth watching over the course of the next 
several days is how many teams that are in contention deal with other teams that are in contention. Because just in the conversations that I've had over the course of the last month, it seems like that is a much greater focus than it it has been in the past. And as a fan, I should really love those deals. I wish there were more of them in the winter um, because those need for need deals are they're major leaguers for major leaguers. Right. And that's what gets you excited about the way your team is involved, evolved more than the uncertainty that comes with trading with players who haven't achieved their like achieved some level of a major league career. Well, we were talking about with Fred McGriff. We were talking about McGriff and Tony Fernandez for Joe Clark and Roberto Alomar back in the day, Padres and Blue Jays. And and the reason why we even got to there, and we'll end on this, we appreciate your time, obviously, is uh, Dave, our own Dave Stewart said on A's pregame live where he was talking about, and Dave put on his old GM hat where he said, you know, how about A.J. Preller's always willing to deal, and you throw Trout into the deal – Trout for Tatis because you're kind of going money for money there. And then you take whatever prospects for Otani. And so they were kicking that around. So then I went, well, you know, why don't we just, if we're going to play that game, why don't we kick in if you're Anaheim and you're thinking, okay, I need more. We got to go more. All right. How about Soto comes over? How about you take Tatis, Soto, both younger, the deal's cheaper, and prospects for Otani and Trout. How about that? (laughs) I didn't start it. I was just completing the deal. A.J. Preller, Perry Manassian, Angels, Padres, blockbuster, player for player. It's creative. 833-625-2278. How do you feel about it? (laughs) I don't think that's – I I think that's not going to be – um, you don't think that happens to happen? Do you, no, I mean, I think the, the whole thing with Otani is like, well, first of all, Otani's not getting traded. I mean, I've said that all along. Not as it stands right now. Like, it's also like, come on, like, like there are a lot of things we can criticize Artie Moreno for, and we just did for not traveling the radio broadcasters, right? And they have had Trout and Otani for six years, and they have not. How about? I mean, if you really want to dig in, how about the absolute failure of buying a radio station that you could have made something really special, and you've just screwed the whole thing? They could have called me, and I could have helped him out with it. There's a lot of things that he's done wrong, and there's a lot of reasons to criticize him. Not trading Otani would not be one of those reasons because he's the biggest draw in the sport. They generate millions of dollars of advertising revenue from him as well. Will you get on here, Cody? Like this is this is a major. I want you to hear. I've been saying this. I'm like all these baseball nerds who ah, oh, you need to go get prospects. I'm like he generates so much income, especially international dollars, and the amount of money you're going to make off him in the next two months if he just happens to chase Aaron Judge's AL record because doing the WBC it's so much that the Angels can't ever give that up. Right, it's huge. When you guys were doing the WBC. Uh, in Japan, 90% of those last two games, 90% of all televisions in Tokyo, Japan, were watching. 
He is yeah. worth so much money. You'd be an idiot to give that up for some prospects. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Absolutely. Like, imagine if you were in a deal where where it was like, let's say, and I thought Tim Britton did a really good job of this in The Athletic. Like, use history as your guide. The closest you can come, because he's a hitter and a pitcher, is like, okay, let's say what the Nationals got in return for Scherzer and Turner, right? Now, granted, Trey Turner had another year of control left, so maybe it would be less than this. But the headliners in that deal were, were – um, Ruiz, the, their catcher, who's a nice player, just signed a contract extension, um, has really struggled defensively this year and hasn't developed quite yet offensively. And Josiah Gray, who was an all-star this year, but is kind of more like a back-end starter. Like, that's if that's you okay with that that being the return for two months of Shohei Otani? Like, to me, it doesn't seem worth that based on the fact that for two more months, Angels fans get to see him. You are putting butts in the seats. If you're a businessman, you're trying to make money on that, right? And so there's a chance there. And also, like, the only people that are saying that Shohei Otani isn't going to re-sign with the Angels are people who are not privy to the conversations with the Angels and Otani's people. Like, we have this feeling, because Otani has said it, that he wants to win. But what if the Angels show enough progress this year and write a big enough check that he's willing to stay? Like, that's something that is a real possibility. He plays in the second largest market in the U.S. He has major exposure. He has major brand deals as a result of that. And one of the reasons he chose the Angels in the first place was that it wasn't quite as, uh, there wasn't as much spotlight on him there as there was in the Dodgers. It's a little bit different dynamic when you're in Orange County versus L.A. proper. And so there's a number of different things that could be factors in this. I think it's foolish to count the Angels out. They already have paid Mike Trout the richest contract in in baseball history. Why wouldn't they want the guy that is generating a ton of income? The only guy that is generating a ton of the off-field income for teams. Like he is he is the re, he is the one bright shining light. Return on investment. He is the guy. I, I apologize for keeping you so long, but I listen no, to no, I don't care. I listen to your show and then I can't talk to you. I like I want to talk to you, but I can't talk. This is the only chance I get. I mean, you have my phone number. Well, I want to call you while you're talking on the show, and that wouldn't be correct. I just text. Well, you just wait till ten. Yeah, just wait till ten. When do you get off the golf course, and then you can call me? Well, I'm a little busy. That, see, that's the office, my friend. That's the office. Oh yeah, that's yeah. the office. The big deals are being made there. Well, uh, thank you very much. You know how much respect we have for you and your show. We talk about you guys all the time. We promote you. You guys are second to none. Your partner's fantastic. And uh, I tell everybody, uh, SiriusXM, please get out there. You guys guys are worth a subscription, no question about it. Your guys' channel. We're going to have Spillborgs on on Friday. We'll have Spilly on. Borgsy! We're going to talk Rockies A's on uh, Friday. Only if you refer to him as Borgsy the entire time. Does he like that? Doesn't matter. Okay. It'd be better if he didn't like it. If it was like, why does he keep doing that? (laughs) You know, I love you guys too. And I love, I love what A's cast has done. It is the, it should be the model for the way teams try to connect with their fans going forward. And you guys are great. And should we go back to the moronic callers now? You don't have moronic callers. A's fans aren't morons. Well, we don't take callers. We don't know that. We don't take callers on this show, so we can joke about it. That's after the game. Oh, you don't. That's after no, the okay. game. That's after the game. Well, and those people, those are smart fans too. Well, that's debatable. You have to be a smart fan to be an A's fan. That's debatable. 
Cody, you have to be a smart fan to be an A's fan, right? <laughs> uh, I don't have to screen those calls, Farron. I'm done by then. So. <laughs> you guys don't have to deal with it. I do. My days of screening phone calls are over. But uh, thank you for helping me with my father issues, and uh, we will talk to you soon. <laughs> hey, anytime you need therapy, you call me. All right, buddy. Be well. See you, boys. The great Mike Farron right here on A's Cast Live. You know, I said it earlier, Bill. Um, you know, we've always loved you and you've meant so much to this program, but now you mean more than ever before. It's your job, not Ed Sprague, not the coaches. It's your job to go find us players who can be athletics and help us win at this level. Yes. Well, well, I'm glad I could contribute to the, uh, the, the new look Oakland A's, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the, uh, the A's minor league staff's been doing a job of developing these guys like Geloff and Soderstrom yeah. who are now there. And, you know, you're finally getting to, to see them. Obviously it looks like Geloff's ready, you know, Soderstrom still just 21 might need a little more time, but there's more guys in the pipeline too. You know, now we've got Lawrence Butler down at AAA Vegas. We've got shortstop Daryl Hernandez down there at AAA Vegas. Kyle McCann, the left-handed hitting catchers, hitting 290 at Vegas. Also, you got a guy like Max Schumann. He's hitting 300. He's got an OBP of 400. Um, you know, a little older guy down at Vegas. So there are guys in the pipeline. There are more guys coming. So, you know, I think this is a good time to keep your eye on the ball and, and get excited about the new guys on the way. And, you know, hopefully... Um, They'll be after the trade deadline. Maybe there'll be a little more room for some of these guys as well, if we're lucky. Oh, uh, editor in chief of Athletics Farm. You go to at Athletics Farm. You're speaking my language because <laughs> um, I've been calling for it for a long time. Well, first off, let's start with this. As somebody that has dedicated your life to this, what does it mean to you when you do see the guys come up? And let's take a guy like Geloff, and Geloff comes up and has the success how much fun do you have watching that no it's you know it's it's really satisfying i mean a, a lot of fans don't follow the prospects quite so much and they see a young guy come up and yeah it's good to see him doing well but obviously you've been following a guy for a couple of years it's even more gratifying i mean going back a little bit i remember when matt olson and chad pinder were uh living in a two uh bedroom house in stockton with three other guys you know people are sleeping on the couch and i'm down there interviewing them in stockton you know with when those guys are really roughing it to see guys like that years later finally make it to the major leagues makes it so much more rewarding and so much more fun when you finally see those guys breaking through and then you're able to see them in the clubhouse and you know remember how things were a few years ago and it's just so so gratifying to see that story that climb up to the top of the ladder when you know a lot of guys don't make it and when they do it's exciting to see that and it's even more exciting when you when you see the journey that they went through to get that it was by no means certain that even Matt Olson, as great a player as he was, was going to make it to the major leagues. I don't know if you remember, they called him up and sent him back down about half a dozen times before he stuck. You know, to, so to see a guy like that go through what he went through to stick and to be the success he is, is just so gratifying. Hopefully, we're going to be able to say the same things about guys like Zach Geloff, guys like Tyler Soderstrom as well. But, you know, when you're in a rebuild mode, I mean, those are the things you have to kind of 
cling on to. Those are the things that are fun, that make it worthwhile. You know, you've said it a million times. I don't want to go out to the park and see a bunch of mediocre veterans. You know, I want to see some young guys, even if they're they're still learning and they're struggling on occasion. It gives you something to, to pay attention to and look forward to and get excited about anyway. You know, hum, human beings live on hope. And you don't have a lot of hope when there's a lot of mediocre veterans in the lineup. You do have hope when there's young guys in the lineup anyway. We sell two things here at A's Cast Live, hope and worry. Two things. <laughs> and right now, we're selling hope. And back hey, on- you, you got plenty plenty of them in stock right now, too. <laughs> All right. I, I, I'll tell you, the whole Matt Olson thing, I learned a lot. Now that Bob Melvin's not here, I can kind of tell some of, some of my secrets. Um, I think the way we handled Matt Olson was atrocious. I think the front office really screwed it up. That whole back and forth to Nashville, even worse – that's where sometimes I don't give the front office they, – they don't deserve the credit because they were putting him out in right field. He was out you're, – yeah. you're talking about the one of the premier defensive first basemen of his time in the game of baseball. His organization was putting him out in right field, and it was Bob Melvin who's texting him in the minor league saying, don't worry about it. You're the first baseman of the future. You're the first baseman of the future. I mean, how bad is it? that you're taking one of the premier first basemen of his generation and in the minor leagues you were sticking him in right field. It's like how clueless. That was clu- that was clueless. It is what it is. It was clueless. So sometimes, you know, when people want to take all this credit, well, we drafted this guy, da, da, like, ah, uh, we followed the journey a little bit more than that. Uh, and I think it really said a lot about Matt, Matt Olson, the adversity he went through of being put in right field and having to go to Nashville back and forth and back and forth. I think w- the player he is today is because of the makeup and what he battled through. I think no question about it. And I, I look at guys now um, and, you know, for Geloff, the thing that you like is when someone like you, Bill, comes on and says, this is what the guy does. And so many times we see the guy come up and then he's not that guy. Geloff has been everything people has said. He's got size. He's athletic. He's fast for his size. He's got power to the to right center and to the opposite field. He can pull it. Like everything that you've talked about, we have seen so far. Yeah, you know, I think it to this sort of intangible thing that can't be quantified by uh, analytics, which is when a guy just really kind of knows what he's doing and has a professional approach across all aspects of the game. Those are the guys that tend to succeed. You know, Zach Geloff got a lot of great tools and skills, but he's not, you know, the most uh, overwhelming specimen, but he knows what he's doing. He knows how to hit. He knows how to play in the field, you know, and even when he doesn't succeed, he knows how to make the most of it, you know, and he knows how to come back and bounce back from that as well. And guys who have those sort of intangible qualities gives them a little a little better chance of succeeding despite their skill set, despite their tools, whatever they are. And I think Geloff is one of those guys that just always seemed to to know what he was doing, looked like he was ready for success. So, um, you know, some guys it takes a little longer to to develop some of the skills needed. But I think Geloff always looked like a bit of a polished player uh, from day one. But, you know, when you talk about um, the, the front office and some of the decisions that have been made in the past, I agree with you on the Matt Olson thing. And I remember talking to Matt Olson down at Nashville when he, you know, had been sent back down there for about the fifth time. And, you know, he, he, you know, he said, you know, I'm, I'm 
tired of getting on a plane back to Nashville. You know, it's, it's yeah. pretty dispiriting, you know. And when you've got a guy with as much raw talent as that, I think we'd all rather see him just give him a clear shot. If he fails, he fails. But, you know, give him a clear shot. Give him a clear opening. And when he finally got that, he did succeed. And just to go to something recently, uh, when the A's called up Jonah Bride, when Ryan Noda went on the injured list, look, Jonah Bride's a great guy, nice guy. We've seen him before. We know what he's capable of and what he's not capable of, right? We're not going to see, you know, some dramatic new Jonah Bride. Why not call up in that situation Kyle McCann, the left-handed hitting catcher who's hitting 290 down there, who hasn't had a shot in the big leagues yet? Why not in that spot take a flyer on a guy who hasn't had a shot yet? See what he can do. Maybe he can break through. Instead of making that conservative choice to going to a guy who's been pretty mediocre in the majors – and, you know, isn't really going to offer you anything. And you're not really going to learn anything from having him on the roster for a couple of weeks. Give a new guy a shot. Let's see what he can do. You know, roll the dice a little bit. This is the time to not be so conservative. What do you got to lose? You know, yeah. um, you know, what are you what are you worried? You're not going to, you know, um, uh, get to, to uh, 250 winning percentage. I mean, you know, what, what are we worried about here? I mean, it's like what you did to Matt Olson, but what you did for Derek Barton. You fell in love with Derek Barton and what you did to Matt Olson? I mean, shake yourself. I mean, Derek Barton, you forced Derek Barton to play in the 2013 series against the Tigers. You for and then he was terrible defensively and Bob Melvin said, "I've had enough." He never played again in the big leagues. I mean, the amount of yeah. the amount of time and the amount of love you gave Derek freaking Barton for all that time and stood up for him and all things, and, and then in the end, what Derek Barton ended up being was a guy who shouldn't be in big league baseball. Uh, don't even take me down the dark side. I want to talk about a guy because Lawrence Butler. We all get it. We've seen it. We get it. Uh, I think to give the front office a boatload of credit when Cole Irvin was traded. I, it was upsetting, right? You're like, he's yeah. cheap. It's 200 innings. It's 30 starts. It's what this team needs. And who is Daryl Hernays or Hernays? Who is this guy? I don't know. He's not one of their top prospects. What are we doing? All he has done is hit. Bobby Crosby was on this show. Bobby loves him. Uh, Hernays is a guy that I don't know. Can he be a big league shortstop? If he hits, you're going to find a spot for him. Just what have you seen from double A to triple A and how good do you think he can be? Well, I agree with you because when the A's traded Cole Irvin, Daryl Hernias was, I think, the 16th ranked Orioles prospect. It was like 15th you know, he, or 16th, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't high up there. And, you know, I thought the A's pitching was going to be pretty shaky this year, which it turned out to be. And I thought, why do you want to trade your most reliable starter for a number 16 prospect? But it turns out, the A's didn't know what they were doing here. Give the front office credit. They saw something in Hernandez, and he he you couldn't have expected better from him this year. He's hitting about 325 on the year between double A, triple A. He's still hitting over 300 since the call up to triple A. I think he's got, you know, a few extra base hits in his first few games there. He just seems to be, you know, a real, real hitter. And the guy still hasn't turned 22. He'll turn 22 next week. Still just 21. Questions about whether he can play shortstop long-term. But you know what? Do the A's seem to have a long-term answer at shortstop right now? Uh, the big league answer? Uh, no. Do they have a shortstop who can swing the bat at all? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. 
Well, then why not give this guy a shot before the season's through? He's done nothing but hit over 300 all season. Let's put him in the big leagues in September and see if he can play shortstop or not. I mean, you know, we've had virtually no production out of that position for a good while. And here's a guy who can swing the bat. Why not roll the dice, put him out there in September, see what he can do, see what he's capable of, and then at least you'll know a little something more about that position heading into next year because it sure doesn't look like Nick Allen or Kevin Smith are going to be a long-term answer at that position. And, uh, you know, Daryl Hernandez is the, the next closest potential answer, so why not at least spend the, spend the final month of the year finding out if, what this guy can do at the big leagues. Again, the, the promotion to AAA hasn't slowed him down in the least. He seems to be on fire. He seems to be excited. He seems to be confident. And I think we all know that when a player's feeling confident, that's probably the most important uh, component to his success in the, in, at, at any level in baseball. You know, the great thing about Marcus Simeon is that Marcus Simeon is a terrific athlete. So Marcus Simeon really is the type of player that – you can kind of put anywhere. Like, he could, like where, where do you need him? He, he'll figure it out. At some point, he'll figure it out. He's now figured out second base. Wash helped him figure out shortstop. I, I guarantee if you put him out left, I, I, I would be confident at some point you could turn, put him in center field. He's not going to kill you. What kind of athlete is Hernays? Is he a, kind of like I, a Marcus Simeon? Is he good enough that we, you know, all right, we'll find a spot for him, can put him in a lot of different spots? I mean, it, it's a good question. He really hasn't, you know, he's so young. He really hasn't played that much pro ball. And honestly, uh, he really hasn't played around the diamond much. So, it, you know, he started, I think, all but a, all but like three games at shortstop this year. Yeah. So the A's have been leaving him at shortstop um, throughout the season. Whether or not he can play anywhere else really you know, it, it's just to be determined. He's really so young and such an unknown quantity at this point. Um, I, I, I think we just don't know. But I say give him a shot. Give him a shot at shortstop. See if he can handle it. If not, I think the most logical position would be, you know, second. We're probably going to have Geloff there. Well, maybe you can move him to third. You know, if that doesn't work out, try him in left. You know, the, the, the guy can swing a bat. You know, you know, on on this team, you got to be able to find a place for him somewhere. And if he's a if he's a professional athlete, you know, he can figure out how to play somewhere. He might not be a Gold Glover, but you know, if you can hit, you can probably find a position on the field to play well enough to stick anyway. Yeah, you start thinking about Geloff and Soderstrom. You start talking about Lawrence Butler and Jordan Diaz, and let's say Ernest is one of the. I mean, they're all their ages are between twenty three and twenty one, and you just start thinking of what kind of core is actually being built. It, uh, it could be something real special. Uh, Lawrence Butler, I mean, con continues to be Lawrence Butler. We've been talking about him since, I mean, he took over spring training, and ever since spring training, he's been the guy. I mean, just talk about the season he's having. And, and he was just called up to, uh, to uh, AAA Vegas a couple weeks ago. Hasn't missed a beat. I think in his first nine games at Vegas, He's got four extra base hits, and he's stolen six bases in his first nine games. So the speed is there. The power is there. He's got an ability to play uh, in the outfield. He's been playing a lot of center field this year. Um, you know, he's also um, spent a lot of time in right. So, I mean, there's just there, there don't really appear to be any big holes left in his game. And to go up to AAA, play with the confidence he's been playing, to just go out there and start swiping bases every, almost every game, you know, and hitting the ball hard every game. And, you know, you've seen Lawrence Butler in spring training. The guy plays with confidence. He's an excitable player. He won 
wants to be out there under the lights. He wants to make things happen. I'd love to see him in September, too. Why not? Give him a shot. Give him a look. I mean, it's not like, you know, the A's are going to have three solid outfielders they can count on every day. Uh, I think, you know, probably suspect Loriano and Seth Brown maybe might not be in the mix uh, next year. We've got Lede. We've got Rooker. Uh, we've got your guy Cody Thomas up there now, too. Yeah. But there are room for more outfielders. I'd love to see Lawrence Butler in the in the major league mix next spring, you know, fighting for a job. Why not? What if you had four outfielders and you had Butler, Blade, um, Rooker, Ruiz out there uh, next year in the outfield mix? Uh, maybe you got Geloff at second. Maybe you're giving Hernandez a chance at short. Maybe you got a, a Jordan Diaz or a Brett Harris uh, getting a shot at third. Uh, you could have um, Langoliers, Soderstrom, Kyle McCann in the catcher first base DH mix along with Ryan Noda. I'd love to see him throw Max Schumann in there who's hitting 300 with a 400 on base percentage. He can play almost any position on the diamond. You know, put him on the roster. A roster like that, to me, would be fun and exciting to see next year. And you know what? It might just end up having a better winning record than the team does this year, too. I'm not saying I want to get into a time machine and go forward because I love football, and football season's coming. Uh, my favorite holiday is Halloween, then Thanksgiving, then Christmas. But after what you just said, I'm ready for spring training. <laughs> yeah, so am I. Right? And, and you know, why not go with that plan? Yes. I, I'm just hoping they don't go out right. in the offseason. You and know what? Sign another Peterson or Diaz or something. Write it <laughs> down. I want you to write everything. You know what? Cody, make sure everything he just said get on gets on paper, and we're going to give it to David Forrest going, this is exactly what we want to see. I want to see a bunch of young guys competing against each other. I'm going to go Jim Harbaugh on you. Iron sharpens iron. I want to see all these. I don't want one old guy. Well, you got to have one old guy. Find an old guy, whoever you want the old guy to be. But And they're not old. We're talking about a guy in his 30s. But I want a bunch of young 25 and under guys fighting like hell against each other to make the 26-man roster. And that team, let that team loose on Major League Baseball because at some point those guys will figure it out and then they'll be tough to beat. And the thing is, you know, I want to see a roster where all the guys are full of potential anyway. Maybe some of them realize it. Maybe some of them don't. But put them out there. Let them play. See whose potential flourishes and manifests and 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 run with that. But have a roster full of guys that have an upside, not just sort of safe, moderate, mediocre veterans, you know, young guys with potential. And you know what? You, you know as well as I do. You have a roster full of that. Those guys are going to be excited to be on the field every yes. day. And yes. they're going to make each other better. They're going to be excited. They're going to want to prove themselves and they're going to they're going to be greater than the than the sum of their parts, you know, and the A's have enough guys like that to go out and do that next year. And there's no reason not to. There's nothing to lose. You know, it'd be one thing if this team was winning and you don't want to, you know, risk something. But do that. Have a roster full of potential. I love let's it. see. Who, let's see who succeeds. And I will put that in black and white for you. Yes, so, uh, blueprint. So you- We're going to say this is the <laughs> blueprint. All right, I'm running out of time because we got pregame coming up. I'm just I'm excited to talk to you, uh, and I and I want to get to the pitching. I do know this: if it, it, it's Blake Beers, right? It's Blake. Uh, Blake Beers, yeah. Mm-hmm. If Blake Beers can be here and be good, I've got sponsorship opportunities for him. I know he. <laughs> I know he has some of the top strikeouts in our minor league system. Uh, but if Blake Beers can get here and 
and get outs. We've got spawn. I can just see it now. Hey, this is Blake Beers. And when I'm drinking beer, I'm drinking Lagunitas from Petaluma. I can just, I could write the commercial right now. But uh, you've got some pitchers because we're excited about hitters. I, I don't hear a lot of excitement about pitchers in our system. Tell me who you're excited about. Yeah, well, as you know, most of the A's top pitching prospects have already, you know, been at the major league level this year. Waldachuk, Muller, uh, Tarnock, Miller, you know, maybe not all panning out as one would hope, but you got to look at the guys at the next level beyond that. So I just put a piece up on my Athletics Farm site um, uh, detailing the, the top performing pitching prospects in the system this year. And one of the top guys I mentioned to him, I think one of the last times we talked was Joey Estes at, at yeah. Midland. From the, the Braves, just- all right? Yeah, I came over from the Braves in the Matt Olson deal. Uh, you know, one of the names that wasn't at the top of the list. And last year as a 20-year-old, Estes was really the, the most reliable starter at high A Lansing. This year as a 21-year-old, He's been the best starter at AA Midland. Uh, the guy's got the best whip of any starting pitcher in the A's minor league system. He's got the third best ERA of any starting pitcher in the A's minor league system. ERA uh, is around 340 at Midland. He's just been really solid and dependable. And again, he's just 21 years old. He seems to have a knowledge and a feel for pitching. And he's got good command. He doesn't walk many guys at all, which is always good to see. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. you know? <laughs> and there aren't a lot of 21-year-old minor league pitchers who don't walk a lot of guys, and I'll tell you, Joey Estes is one of them. I think his strikeout-to-walk ratio is at least 3-1 to one anyway. All right. So, so that's like good that. to see. Joey Estes, double A. He should be, you know, in a position to be, you know, at least close to major leagues next year. Also a guy, Jack Perkins. He was the A's fifth-round draft pick just last year out of Indiana. Got off to a blazing start at high A Lansing. Had a 250 ERA at Lansing early in the season. He's been promoted to double A Midland. Uh, on the season, he's got the best ERA of any pitcher in the A's minor league system. He got an ERA at 3.18. And he was drafted just last year and is now at double A. So Jack Perkins is also a guy to keep an eye on. And then just one notch below that. Jose Dicachea, who was drafted a few years ago by the A's in the eighth round out of high school in Arizona, had Tommy John surgery, was laid up, but he's been one of the most effective pitchers in the A's minor league system this year. Got off to a great start at Stockton. He's now at Lansing. He's got an ERA, uh, just a little, uh, I think it's 318 as well. He's just a fraction behind Jack Perkins. And Dicachea has been striking out nine and a half guys per nine innings this season after coming back from Tommy John surgery. So he's been, he's been doing really well. He's up at Lansing now too. So if he can stay healthy, he's got, he's got the stuff and, and the ability to uh, move up pretty quickly. So after we had the Mullers and the Waldachucks and the Tarnocks and the, and the Millers, I think some of the next guys to keep an eye on are Joey Estes, Jack Perkins, and Jose Dicachea, who are all having really great seasons uh, in the A's minor league system this year. We haven't seen a lot, but what we've seen so far, I like Freddie Tarnock. Big guy, big arm. How, how did you like him? Yeah, I think I think he's got real potential. You know, I think he's got a he's got a good attitude. He's fighter. Adler seems like, uh, you know, he wants to be out there competing. Hopefully they, they, they're going to give him enough innings, you know, give him a shot to get out there and show what he can do the remainder of the season. I think he was a little bit of an underrated uh, talent. And 
you know, the pitching staff is not uh, overwhelmed with, uh, you know, extreme talents at this point. I'd like to see Freddie Tarnock given as much of a shot to, to see what he could do. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, I, you know, I know he hasn't been stretched out much, but maybe, you know, use him as an opener, you know, get him a couple innings to start a game or something before before flipping it over. But I, I, I think, you know, he could have potential as, you know, maybe not a dominant pitcher, but 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 a, but a solid arm for in, in the A's uh, uh, staff going forward anyway. Well, I, 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 I got a lot more questions, but we got to get to actual the pregame show. You have always been important for our program, but you are now far more important than you've ever been before. You, my friend, need to help figure out, especially with all of these pitchers that they drafted and the college pitchers. I've been trying to tell people, you're a college guy in this system. You don't have a rotation up here where guys got contracts and big money, you're blocked. There is nobody. And this stands for position players, pitchers. This is like you've got a yellow brick road leading to Oakland. There's nobody standing in your way. No one's got a 10-year, $300 million contract. No one's blocking you. This is on you. I wish I could stand up in front of the draft class and go, you want to be a big leaguer? It's on you. Nothing's blocking you. And I got to think, Bill, you've got to expect for some of these pitchers, especially the college guys, it shouldn't take long. Well, like I like I just mentioned, Jack Perkins, he was just drafted last year. Mm-hmm. He's already a double A Midland. You know, I mean, that's not that far away from the major leagues. If if you're drafted, you come out and pitch well. There is a clear path straight to the big leagues for you at this point. That's got to be exciting. And if you're a talented guy who's, who's confident and knows what he's doing and isn't afraid of a challenge, you ought to you ought to get yourself out there on the mound and start slinging it. And know you could be on that big league mound in no time if you just do your job out there on the mound. Hey, great stuff we got to get to the pregame we'll talk soon great take care tony we'll put that plan in place for the front office and get next season to head in the right direction i love it be well this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, it is always great to have the big left-hander Sean Manaya on the program, A's Cast Live, as he's getting ready for the Giants and the Athletics coming up. From Oracle Park. It has been a while. How are you? We miss you. Yeah, uh, things have been going great. Um, you know, a little, little bit different on the other side of the bay, but, um, you know, Giants Nation's uh, been been great so far and, uh, you know, love playing in Oracle. So, other than that, um, you know, baseball season and, um, yeah, man, just miss you guys too. Well, you, you, you know how, how big of a fan favorite you were and how much everybody loved you in Oakland. We've never taken off the set. We've never taken you down. We've always kept you up here. <laughs> I just noticed that, yeah. Yeah, you're next to the big three. We've never taken you down. And even though that you, you obviously went on and, and pitched for the Padres and pitched for the Giants, you know, once you've been here and you've had great success in the bonds here, the Oakland A's will always be a big part of your career and, and, and who you are as a professional. Yeah, I mean, you know, they gave me uh, the opportunity to, to pitch at the big league level, and 
um, you know, spent a lot of years there and, you know, had a lot of great relationships and learned a lot, grew up as a man and, um, you know, all these great things. So, um, you know, Oakland's definitely going to have a, always have a special place in my heart and, um, you know, forever grateful for that. You know, recently we were just talking about, and we'll get into Giants, but recently we were just talking with Boston, uh, the A's taking on Boston in Boston before the break and then right after the break, you know, a lot of talk about your no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox. And I remember that night, you know, the Red Sox came to town, obviously a terrific team, and it was a mm-hmm. night where you were just cruising. When you when you think back to that night of that no-hitter, what comes to mind for you? Um, I mean, just the, you know, adrenaline because um, – you know, the few times that I faced them before wasn't pretty and, um, you know, they had my number for sure. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, like for me, you know, just the emotion and just, you know, like I, I wanted to have like a good start and, you know, I wasn't expecting a no hitter, but, um, you know, as the game kept going, it just, you know, things were flowing and, um, you know, the game just felt like it was over within a, you know, couple minutes, um, you know, just thinking back about it, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, you know, a perfect night and, um, you know, a lot of people there. So that was, you know, really cool. And, um, yeah, just overall, that was a, obviously a very special night. How often do you think about it? Um, yeah, randomly. Um, you know, people bring it up uh, every once in a while. And, um, you know, it's hard not to <laughs> think about that night. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, randomly check out the, uh, the highlights on YouTube uh, every now and again. But, um, yeah, it's always, uh, you know, a special, special moment. So, um, definitely, uh, something I go back to here and there. This past off season, you went up and worked out a driveline, right? Uh, yeah. In Arizona. In, in Arizona. Was it driveline? Yeah. They're, uh, like the original office is in Kent, Washington, I believe. Yeah. Like near Seattle. Um, but yeah, they opened up this one in, uh, well, they opened up an original one in, uh, I think Phoenix, and then they moved to this one uh, this past year. So, um, yeah, after the season last year, I was like, you know, I knew I needed to get in some like, you know, baseball specific training. And um, they've also obviously got a you know pretty long track record and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, I've trained there the whole off season and uh, loved it. Yeah, because that you know we've been hearing a lot about it for years. We've had guys on the show from Driveline. I just kind of want to get your overall experience. I know a lot of they're starting to work with a lot of young players. We've got college guys, high school guys, people who want to get better with their biomechanics. They want to improve their velocity. Just kind of take us through the process. What do you think they really did for you and helped you going into this season? Um, well, like the first thing that we did, we we did a motion capture. So they put all these like, you know, dots and um, – you know, basically like biomechanics stuff um, that smart people interpret, um, you know, that stuff goes away from my head, but, um, <laughs> you know, they do, do a good job of like breaking down like the numbers and like, you know, your rotational speeds and, um, you know, a bunch of fancy metrics that, you know, again, I don't really uh, understand, but they do a good job of explaining like the most important things that, um, you know, you could like the low hanging fruit that you can improve upon. So, um, yeah, it was like the first thing I did um, when I got there, which would, would have been like a week or two after uh, the season ended. And, you know, from then on, uh, or what they got from that motion capture 
data, they, you know, pretty much just gave me a uh, plyable routine um, for like the off season. And, you know, it was like kind of like a, a trust thing where it's like, you know, the, we think these drills are going to help you. So, um, excuse me, they, uh, you know, do that. Uh, we have like a, a whole like map of like what the, the off season is going to be like. And, uh, you know, we think, you know, this could definitely help. So, um, a little different than what I expected, but, you know, I, uh, you know, trusted that process and, um, even getting like towards the end there of the off season, like, you know, I, my velo had increased like a little bit. Um, but I knew for like, for me, it was kind of like a, uh, I needed like some adrenaline, you know, some like fans in the, the stadium and stuff like that. Um, you know, I can't really just walk up the two mound and, um, just throw 98, which, you know, some guys can do that, but, uh, I don't know for me, I just couldn't do that. So, um, but I definitely felt it towards the end of the off season there. And, um, yeah, I mean, my first game that I pitched with the Giants uh, hit 97, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is yeah. crazy, you know? I didn't really feel like um, like physically like I was trying harder or anything. It just kind of was coming out better. So, um, yeah, I mean, my velo has been up the this whole year, which has been great. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it works. And, um, yeah, it's been – yeah, incredible so far. So I, I know you guys probably aren't scoreboard watching, so let me do that for you. It's kind of crazy right now. The way the wild card works, the Reds have a half-game lead over you guys, the Diamondbacks, the Phillies, at the Marlins. I mean, you guys are all in this group for the wild card. I know you're still chasing the division, but just do you guys talk about in the clubhouse just, wow, how bunched up all these teams are for the wild card and of course still trying to win the division which the Dodgers lead yeah I think uh you know it's a topic of conversation um you know I don't think we're all just sitting around um you know just like discussing each little thing but uh yeah I think it's uh you know always in the back of our minds um you know especially getting here in August um you know we got like two, you know a little over two months left so um, you know, we're definitely starting to get into that, you know, stretch run here. So, um, yeah, it's, I think, uh, you know, everyone's thinking about it, but, you know, obviously the goal is for the, uh, yeah, NL West and, um, you know, it's definitely a, a real possibility. So, uh, but yeah, the, um, as the season goes on, like the, that group, you know, you know, it's going to be <laughs> crazy here, uh, towards the end there. So, um, yeah, who knows what happens. You know, when I think about you being a starter and pitching a lot of games out of the bullpen this year, it's so far different, right? Game day as a starter, you have your routine, how you warm up, when you run, when you throw, when you stretch, go through that whole process, how much you throw in the bullpen versus being in the bullpen. It's like, get down there, warm up. you got to get ready to rock, right? It's like eight pitches. you got to be ready. So what has that trans- transition been like for you throwing so many games out of the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's very, I mean, you pretty much described it, um, you know, as a starter, each day is like its own, own routine, um, like own, like different routine. So like, you know, day one, like say I started today, like tomorrow would be, um, you know, all set on this one, like specific, like get the body moving, light throwing, uh, if any throwing, um, you know, really trying to recover and then the next day would be something different and the next day would be different. Um, so as a starter, your days are kind of structured around like your starts. Um, and what I've noticed as 
you know, coming out of the pen is like every day is pretty much the same. Um, you know, unless you go multiple innings and, um, you know, you, you know, you're down, uh, that next day, it's kind of, um, you know, you, you have time to recover and do all that stuff. So, but yeah, coming out of the pen is like, you know, pretty, at least for me, it's been like the same routine every day. Um, you know, go out and throw, stretch, run, uh, work out if I have to. And then like, um, you know, I have my own routine that I do uh, right before, or like as the game's going on, uh, just be ready, you know, if my name's called. So um, yeah, I'd say it's, um, you know, been a lot different, but um, you know, I like the, the new challenges. Um, it's been, you know, great to see this perspective uh, coming out out of the pen and, you know, seeing the game from a, a different viewpoint and um, yeah, you know, I just like welcome new challenges. So it's been, uh, been great so far, but definitely a, definitely a challenge. I, I wish all A's fans could have been there to see, and we'll end on this, how you handled that day in spring training where you got traded and you came into the clubhouse and you were so emotional. Uh, everybody was emotional. And then you're pitching against the A's in a Padres uniform and a green glove and green cleats. And then you were so kind to then do an interview with me in the in, in the, cl- the Padres clubhouse after the start. Uh, you're a salt of the earth kind of guy. It's one of the reasons why we all loved you. It's why the fans all loved you. And it's why we will always root for you. No matter what jersey you put on, we are all going to be in your camp. And you never know, maybe someday you come back and pitch for the green and gold. But I can't thank you enough for everything you did for us, the man you were, and what you meant to the community and the A's fan base. So we'll always love you. We're rooting for you. Good luck the rest of the season. (laughs) Man, it just gave me chills right there. Uh, Thank you for the kind words. I mean, appreciate it. Appreciate you and, you know, the fans. So, um, yeah, love you guys. Take care. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.